This is eConverse, Digital Marketplace Success, a podcast brought to you by Vaso Group. Vaso Group is an all-inclusive e-commerce agency for both Amazon and Walmart.com, focused on helping you achieve success in marketplaces around the world. I'm Pamela Moore. We're learning about how to take your business international on Amazon. I'm joined by Jesse Ford, International Account Manager of Vaso Group, to help us understand what it takes to go international. Let's jump in, Jesse. Why go international? Obviously, I think when you talk about going international, it's a new avenue for your business. It's a new avenue for expansion. So the biggest, the biggest, most obvious thing, in my opinion, is that it's a new revenue stream. It's a way to make more money. But there are obviously caveats with that. And I think that's the most important aspect. Who doesn't want to make more money, right? Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, the goal of why you're selling things is just from the standpoint that we're trying to capitalize on what we're doing. So making money is... is the 100% reason why you would do that. Absolutely. How does a business go international on Amazon? So there's a, a couple of things. Obviously, you need to get your product overseas. So how do you do that? Do you do it through distribution? Do, do, do you do it yourself? Do you partner with, with another agency to help you with that transition? The other thing is that you actually have to sign up for an account. So similar in the ways that you would do it here in the U.S. if you're starting an Amazon business, uh, you have to do that overseas, and that requires a few documents, like your passport, for example. Amazon will want to identify you and make sure that you are, are able to do business and give you access. So, you know, there's a couple steps with that. But on the basics of it, you need to go in Amazon.com. You need to set up an account in that country, and then you need to provide identifying documents. And after that, uh, you will move on to what are we selling? How are we going to sell it? How are we going to get it there? and what is the cost of doing business and doing that. So there's a lot of different factors in, in, in how you do that initially. All very practical. Yeah. I didn't know about the passport thing. Yeah, they, I mean, in the States, you just need a driver's license and things like that. But internationally, they want a, a document that obviously is, is international, so to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What are the best regions for growing Amazon business overseas? So. In my opinion, I would say Germany and the UK are the strongest in regards to um, having real potential in building a reasonable business overseas. Most of it's due from the cultural standpoint. You know, here in the US, we are very accustomed to buying things online, and that doesn't really translate to every country in the same way. So, Spain and Italy are a little bit behind in that regard, and even some of the other Nordic type countries, Sweden, Norway etc. The culture is just not the same. So in the UK, in Germany, the culture is very close to ours in regards to how people shop on the on the internet, so to speak. And those, in our experience, have been the, the biggest growth regions in regards to practical business that you can do in, in those countries at, at a higher scale than, let's say, Italy or, or France or Spain. Interesting. I didn't even think about the culture of buying things online. Of course, I've been buying things online. I, I'm Gen X, so it's eBay. Yeah, yeah. It started with eBay. Right, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Same yeah, here. Yeah, the Same culture. It, the culture has to be there to support the business. Right. I mean, you know, you take us as Americans, you know, 20 years ago, you would have someone argue with you about buying shoes or buying a T-shirt or whatever it is. Like, people still have that practicality of like I want to touch it I want to feel it 
but in reality, like that's long been gone, and we're more than willing to buy things online. In part because we can return them as well. If we don't like something, it's very easy and practical to to send it back. That's a challenge. Not every country so operates like that in the convenience that we do. So you have to take that in consideration when you're looking at where to send your product to. You know, that's just it's difficult, but it's not that difficult. That's so fascinating. Okay, we want to make money by taking things international. Yep. What's it going to cost? Um, it's going to cost based on what you sell. So if we sell, um, if we sell washers and dryers, uh, it's probably not that practical because obviously getting it there is going to cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> True. Maybe you can do it if you have distribution, and that goes back to who you partner with. So. If you're manufacturing your product in, in another country and that country has access to, to getting products there for you so you don't have to, to cross in the sea twice. So like let's say you manufacture in China and you can just go directly from China to the UK or Germany or Netherlands or whatever country it might be. That would make a lot more sense than sending it to the US and then taking it from the US and distributing it back. So if you can find a distribution partner um, that can help you with the logistical part, it will save you on costs. Or, you know, you may be selling indirectly. So you may find a partner that will handle doing the business over there and you're distributing through them in a way that you can get your products to their distribution so that they can send it to Amazon at that point. There's a couple different ways, but if you're selling small items, the cost is obviously much different. Getting a, a pallet of pencils is a lot different than getting a pallet of garbage disposals. Like it's just two different markets. So the other thing to take into consideration in cost is, is what's your gross margin for what you sell. And so if you're going to ship something that's going to take 10% of your gross margin out, you have to figure out if there's enough profit there for me able to justify sending this overseas. And if there is, then great. But if there isn't, you have to do cost analysis and say, this is viable, this isn't. So internally, you know, we have a client that sells folding tables. That might be a little more challenging uh, than, let's say, a client that sells notebooks. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Of course. If it's lightweight, then it would be easier to ship back and forth. You may be working in huge pallets, sending more pencils than, say, washers and dryers or folding tables. Right. Uh, but that's still, and crossing the seas multiple times, that, that's a fascinating thing that I hadn't considered. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the, the challenge of it is, is, like I said, how do you figure out what, what your margin is? So how many pens do you have on a pallet? If you have 5000 and it costs you $100 for that pallet, you just divide it out, you see what your cost per unit is, and you go from there. If it's two washer and dryers, and you know it's going to cost you $400 to ship something that you're selling for $1,200, like the economics don't make sense. So that's why you don't see a lot of heavier, heavier, heavier things. And what's fascinating to me in regards to e-commerce and international and domestic is what the profit margins may or may not be on furniture because that's a popular thing to sell on both platforms. And so if you're, a, if you're a retailer out there looking at furniture, that's another consideration because people are doing it. But for me personally, I, I don't know where the margin comes from. So that's an interesting thing to look at. Is a couch at 200 pounds, does that make sense? I don't know. But we obviously ship things back and forth, so um, it makes a difference in, in some way, and people are doing it. So there has to be some, some methodology to make that make sense. Right. Uh, I was going to ask you, how does international distribution work? You touched on it, yeah. going back and forth over seas and making sure that you can distribute whatever it is and it's not like 
the heaviest thing. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, if, if you sell it for a million bucks and it costs you $400, then great. Do it. Right, exactly. Let's send five. Right, exactly. Right. Um, but th- to answer your question on distribution, that varies. I mean, like I said, you can handle it yourself. Like, you don't need a distributor to send send product to Amazon. You can put it in a box, you can put it on a pallet, whatever you want to do. The question becomes, in regards to distribution, is what's your scale? So, and this goes into inventory management and whatnot. In the U.S., we can send uh, a box of tablets, a box of pencils, a box of whatever, and it'll be there. It'll be there in, in two weeks. Two weeks, you'll have everything received. When you go overseas, you're trying to forecast out how much do we send. Because once it gets over there, it's very expensive to bring back. And so you don't want to get in a situation where you're paying for storage charges, all of these things. And that's where a distributor might help you out in regards to being able to keep inventory, whether it's a 3PL or whether it's a, whether it's a distributor doing the business for you. It's, the, it's a methodology to keep inventory close to where you need to ship it to. And that's probably the biggest advantage in regards to how you manage a business. Like let's say you, you send a thousand pieces overseas and it takes off, it does really well. And you sell through 900 of them in two weeks. Well, it's gonna take you another month to reload that. And that's maybe being generous. So if it takes you a month to send it, get Amazon to receive it, get it back on the shelves. Um, in, in the Amazon world, you may lose momentum on a listing if it's highly competitive. You may find that it takes you a little bit longer to get it back into the algorithm, so to speak. But you also don't want to send 10,000 units the next time because you just don't know. You know, you do a small sample size. It could be the hottest product and then in six months it's not. And then you have to figure out what you do with that inventory over there. So it's a delicate balance of how much do we send? How much do we do we hold back if we if we feel like we're getting traction, you know? You're just trying to forecast consistently. So if you have a distributor over there, or if you have essentially a, what would be a reseller to your business, so if you partnered with someone who, who, let's say in the U.S., you have a company like Ascendant that partners with all of these these different brands and they do a lot of the retail work for some of these brands, you can you can channel through them in order to either wholesale to that, that distributor or use that distributor as a point of, of distribution. To, to say it not very eloquently, to be able to help you get product in and out to different areas. The beautiful thing about Amazon right now in regards to the EU specifically is that when you ship your inventory to the UK, it will get shared with the other EU countries. So you don't have to go through the process of we need to send 10% to Germany, 15% to France, 8% to Spain, and so on and so forth. So. That's an important thing too, and that may change. When Brexit was happening, there was a fear that that was going to change, but they found a way to keep that intact. So yeah, it's much more of a pain if you have to consider shipping your goods to 10 different countries and spreading out your inventory to these places. Um, because you know, to, to be honest and truthful, we don't know necessarily what's going to work. You can do all the research you want, and at the end of the day, if you get your product over there and it doesn't sell, then you have to figure out what you want to do next and whether that's liquidate it and get out of that market or change your strategy. Maybe you advertise more, et cetera. There's, there's, a, there's a collateral give if you, if you don't have success and, and you had to spread your inventory out over 10 countries. The fact that you can just send it to the UK helps 
with that. So that should take fear away from someone who's looking to move into the international space and experiment with more than just one country, you know, because you're scared to send your inventory to. That is helpful to know yeah. that it all goes to, there's there's basically a depot in right. uh, the UK yep. where things can be sent out from there and you don't, the risk is not as great or the concern's not as great that you'll be parceling out little bits of product here and there that you would have to, if things don't go amazingly right. in your first foray, then you don't have to pay to recover things from all of these different places or, or change strategies everywhere. Right. And that, and that's a, a key thing, I think, because I, I think with anyone in business, the when things are going good, it's very easy to be very static with what you do. So in discussing this international part, if you can if you can capitalize on it earlier than other people, especially for certain products and certain things, and we face that internally with one of our clients who has a much different much different level of inventory and products that they have access to a lot faster than the UK partner. But the thing is in the UK a lot of these products are not very competitive because they're not being distributed because they're just not there yet for for the UK portion of the company. So the US has a new product, a new item that's not out in the UK yet, but it also hasn't been distributed to other retailers, wholesalers, other distributors that they might have in their network. So you get a new marketplace to own and kind of sculpt in your own way. And in different countries, it can mean a lot less competition and so on. So you want to be the cowboy right. or the pioneer in that area, if at all possible with your product, especially if it's unique. Right. Because eventually with anything, things get copied, people catch up. It's why it's very competitive when you're, and I'm sure anyone who, who would listen to this and is curious about their Amazon business, if you're selling a commodity or consumer goods product, you know, it will become competitive because we all have access to data. And that data could be as simple as seeing that there's a, a cup that has 50,000 reviews. You know that cup is selling. You can, you can reverse engineer that and say, okay, well, how do we sell a similar cup? And then how do we scale it up and so on and so forth? So when you go into certain international markets, your product might not be there yet. And one of the challenges of that is building your brand in another marketplace if you are a very brand-centric uh, item. So you're a soap, you're a deodorant, you're a whatever. If you can distribute that overseas, you know, no one knows about your brand. And maybe a quarter of an eighth percent of America knows about your brand, but that's a $5 million Amazon business. So you have to, you have to weigh all those things when you start thinking about where you want to go and why you're doing it as well, which goes back to the earlier portion of our discussion of, of why would you want to go there? And that's, that's expanding your brand. You know, if you, UK is very similar to the US. If you have a product that's successful there, uh, maybe Australia, very similar uh, culturally. It could have success in all those marketplaces, but you have to build brand as well. And Amazon can help you do that if you don't have an easy way to sell something, ship something that's cost effective to Australia. Because shipping a parcel, like one item to Australia, has got to be, for a very lightweight item, probably at this point, $11, $12 or something like that. So if you're selling something for $30, You've eliminated 30% of your of your gross margin, which is probably most of your profit in a general sense. So now it's got to be $40, and does someone want to buy a $40 face wash or whatever the situation is? 
So there are all sorts of considerations, but if you can build your brand, Amazon International is a way to do that and get yourself in front of new customers who, who don't know who you are yet. It's amazing. And it, it's also interesting to me Yeah. because it's a, I've written for some international, but I've written for like UK items. I haven't had to do translations. Right. So how does marketing internationally work with regards to language translations? So Amazon will help you in most of the EU marketplaces and not all. So um, if you need French, Spanish, German, those are there for you, especially through the Launchpad program that they have. So if you're launching a new item, especially if it's got traction here in the U.S., you'll probably get an account manager, someone you can work through. Generally, it'll take a couple of weeks to get a turnaround on translations for your A-plus content or your brand store. So they will do that for you. There's obviously other ways to do it. You know, you want to use Fiverr, you want to try to go out and find your own resources. You can do that as well if you're on a tighter turnaround time. But there are resources within Amazon for you to get translations. That's not every marketplace. Um, for example, I don't believe you can get that in Singapore or Japan. And you'll have to source your own sort of translations in regards to that. But things change every day. And that may become a standard thing. But I know in regards to the EU, there's support there for translations just to help you get content available, especially a little more a little more in-depth content, like revolving around A-plus and, and things that are a little bit more educational, depending on the product that you have. So it's there for you as a resource. This is a short answer to that question. That's excellent. Yeah. Because my French, my French is okay. Yeah. Comme si, comme ça. Yeah. But developing content for these marketplaces, I guess you could take what's been written in American English and use translation services, either resource them on your own or go through a, um, an account manager through Amazon International to help you get everything worded appropriately for the content. Yeah, I mean, Amazon wants to expand, they wanna grow. So they're willing to give you some support in regards to, hey, how do we get your products in this marketplace, this marketplace? One danger, however, I would say in regards to that is that Amazon is a company that's in the, in, the, in the interest of making money as well. And so they want you to send your things overseas. They want you to try to expand, but you may not have a market yet for it. So once you decide to take that plunge, you decide to incur ex expenses to do that. And once you're over there, not everything works. There's not one peg for every hole. Like you, you may not have, you may not have the ability to just step into a market and sell things. So you do need to be pragmatic about how you approach your business. And, and part of that is not just reading every Amazon marketing email that you might get that says, Hey, we're in UAE now, you know, this is a growing marketplace by X amount of percent and so on and so forth, because the UAE might not be the place for your product. Singapore might not be the place for your product. And you have, to, you have to try to use some intuition and some business sense to not just take everything that Amazon gives you and say, okay, like we can do it, we can get translations, we can get all this stuff going, and we'll have all of our products over there in six weeks. You know, that might be moving too fast. So there's a, a calculated way to do that and approach that. You don't need to try to be everywhere all at once because Amazon says, hey, you can be everywhere. Exactly. And yeah. it's very easy and, and very, very inviting, you know, with the right verbiage to be like, hey, you know, here's a nice marketing email that says, did you know 
that in Australia, Amazon's grown 385% over the last five years. Your business can grow 385%. That sounds great, but you know, if you're selling XYZ thing and it's not for that marketplace, you know, whether it's, it's a demographic, whether it's a, a socioeconomic standpoint from what your item might cost based upon what it does and what marketplace you're in, there's a there's a hundred different reasons why something will succeed or fail. It's very important to not get caught up in the excitement of saying that we can grow exponentially just because we we've landed our products here in Australia. I use Australia as a proxy just because it's similar to our culture here, UK as well. But you know when you go to Australia, it's a little bit further away. It's a little bit more expensive depending on where you're shipping things from because obviously it's the other corner of the world. So anyways, it's just the general point there is just to be. Be very practical about how you do things. And speak with an expert if you're a little too excited or confused and you don't know. Okay, so Australia has this thing, and right. I'm so excited. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk. You're, you ship refrigerators, right. so maybe right. it's a great impulse. Yeah. Let's examine it. Let's look at the numbers, Right. basically. And let's see what, you know, let's see what your margins look like if you actually, actually do this and ship something like this that far. Like I said, it's got to make sense for, for your business, not just generic numbers and statistics that would that would say that this is growing in these places. Right. Comparing pencils to refrigerators. Right, right. Of course. Uh, how about external advertising? How does that work? So it works very similar as, as Amazon US does. You have an ad platform. You have different resources in regards to whether you're using sponsored brand, display, products, etc., the thing that I, I would push for if you're going overseas is if you don't have a website, you don't have a distribution point to sell direct, and you're using Amazon as your only facilitator to do business in, in other marketplaces internationally, that you do experiment with taking taking not offline advertising, but advertising into Google or Facebook and other places to push into Amazon. Amazon will give you credit for those types of orders that you will generate from external advertising, so to speak. But you have to keep in mind that, especially if you're brand-centric, that you don't have awareness in that country. And that if you don't have a direct platform to advertise to, I know a lot of sellers don't want to give up the margin because they're spending advertising dollars outside of Amazon and then paying an Amazon commission once a customer gets there. But the point is is that you have to figure out a way to make people aware of your, your item, your brand, your product, and we can do that within the Amazon platform. But to scale on a bigger sense, you have to think about how you've built your business in the United States as well. And if you aren't an Amazon business in the sense that I developed a product and that product only lived on Amazon and I scaled it out to a $100 million business only with Amazon, most companies' businesses don't work that way. And a lot of it is very retroactive. Like we have a $100 million business and we're not on Amazon, how do we get on Amazon? It's There are brands for sure that have started on Amazon and built their way up. Um, I can think of one specifically called Anchor. They sell battery packs, consumer electronic items, and they're very scaled up now. They're publicly traded, but there was a guy who, who basically took his business and decided that he was going to build better consumer electronic products. But he did that on Amazon 10, 12, 13 years ago, and it's much different today to be able to build a brand directly out of Amazon because there's so much competition, there's so much impersonation, so to speak. And in doing so, 
most people are building brands outside of the Amazon platform and then connecting them back to Amazon after the brand's been built. So you have to look at your approach when you're internationally and have to say to yourself, like, okay, well, it's going to take time to get traction here if we're selling something that's very brand-centric. Shoes, whatever it is, there's a way to do that, but you have to remember how you did your U.S. business as well. It's not just, we're just going to throw our stuff and it's going to be great when we send it over to Germany tomorrow. Is there a problem having a direct commerce store plus Amazon overseas? No, I think... I think the problem, though, is is very simple. Is like, if you have a direct direct store, let's say Shopify, whatever it is, you still have to get products to the customer. So if someone in the UK orders from your direct website, and you don't have distribution in the UK, how does your product get there? Now Amazon is working on becoming a fulfillment provider for that purpose as well, and I'm not sure when it's supposed to come into effect. But it's something they were pitching, I would say, about six months ago, that we can be a distribution point, essentially a 3PL for your direct channel. So the broad picture of that is that you have to get it to the customer in a reasonable amount of time. And part of the reason why Amazon has been so successful is speed of delivery. So anyone can order something from the UK, to take that as an example, from your store in the US. But when you tell someone it's going to take four weeks to get there, the impulse of buying it generally goes away at a pretty high percentage. But if you can promise someone delivery in, in two days, one day, three days a week, because you have a distribution point overseas, then that changes the calculus. And you should do both because once again, it's about building your brand out. And customers here in the US, we've conditioned ourselves now to, to even if we see an advertisement, to go to someone's site, we're gonna check Amazon potentially because we want it faster. So your impulse is there. You want to be able to satisfy a customer's impulse and think of, like, reverse engineer everything. Think about why you buy something. So if I'm in the, I'm in the UK tomorrow, I want a new tablet. So I go and search iPad. And it says, your iPad will be here from China in three and a half weeks. You're going to be like, well, I'm probably going to get in the car and go to the store and see if I can find one there. So Amazon has filled that hole for us, and we have to keep that in mind when we're trying to develop a business overseas, that certainly someone can order it from you here, but are they really going to order it if it's going to take them a month to get it? And most people would say no to that because we're impulse buyers. And that's when I keep harping on culturally relevant. That's why Germany and UK are, are very mirrored to sort of U.S. shopping habits because we're very similar from, from cultural standpoints versus Italy that might function a little slower. Like culturally, Italy is a slower country. Spain is a slower country. So the mentality about when you get things and need things, you know, changes a little bit. So it changes the calculus on why someone buys something, you know, how someone decides to buy something, etc. If you go to France and you go on a market, just as a visitor, you know, bread spoils every day, right? So people, people buy a loaf of bread, a baguette to take home to eat for dinner, and maybe the next day, and then that bread's gone. So much different buying habits and buying culture. And you have to keep that into consideration when you're trying to figure out how to develop a business you know, overseas. I'm guilty of the impulse buy, I'm yeah. gonna be honest. But I, I think we all are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't have it in three days, then I don't know that I need it. Right. It's, it's kind of amazing how we've, we're conditioned as a culture. Yeah, for that. you're programmed to it. I, I do it all the time. If I, There's stuff that I might want 
and if I can't get it the same day, the same day, like I just be like, I, I don't need it. Even though I could wait a day, I could wait two days. And that mentality persists. It's why Amazon's been successful with scaling what they do to the level that they have. And it's why you know other, other marketplaces lag in that regard. And the same applies overseas. But like I said, you know, with the UK and Germany, customers are more in tune with that ideology of, hey, I can get it fast versus maybe a, a country like Spain where it's not, the buying culture isn't quite there yet with that sort of mentality. So it's a marketplace where people can buy things conveniently, but that convenience isn't, over, isn't overly valued like it is, let's say, here in the States. And that's what you're looking at too. So you're, as, as far as expectation levels of what your business might do in, in each of these sort of major European countries, using them as a proxy versus, you know, let's say a Singapore or Japan or, or UAE or, or some of the other countries that Amazon does business in. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, one takeaway okay. for listeners of this podcast, what should they do? What you should do is, is I said this earlier, reverse engineer your, your thoughts, figure out what you're trying to accomplish, figure out what your business goal is in a general sense. If your goal is just to sell stuff overseas, then just, just do it. If, if the, the short-term profit isn't your, your, your end game, if you want to see what your product does over there, don't, don't overpostulate, don't overthink. Just, just find something that you feel would be relevant to the marketplace. Do a little bit of research to see that the item is viable. Sign up for an account. Get your product overseas on a very micro level and see what happens. Because I think you can take too much time overthinking what you're doing instead of just saying, okay, this is our product. This is what we have. We sell stylus, styli, is that right? We sell a stylus and we think it's a good product. We do very well here in the US. We have good reviews, et cetera, et cetera. It's not very expensive for us to get our product over there. Let's sacrifice you know, whatever it is that we, we feel that we can and then use the reverse logic of what you're doing. How would a customer find my product? Why would a customer find my product? Is this product relevant to this marketplace? With a little bit of research, you can see that already. And just, just get to it. And then as you, as you figure it out, you scale your business out. And you grow it, and you grow it, and you grow it. And, and if you don't take that first step, you'll never get there. And that's my approach when it comes to, to business, when it comes to hustling, when it comes to anything, is if you don't, take an approach where I'm going to do this and then stop and reverse engineer the process, it makes it much more difficult to get over that hump with anything that we do in life. Exercise, nutrition, whatever it is, shopping. If we're scared, you know, 12 years ago, the iPhone, 13 years ago, 15 years ago, there were, I bought an iPhone in 2007. It first came out. That's 15 years ago. It's crazy. And like that was a conversation piece for people. People were like, holy cow, that's an iPhone. Now we can lose our iPhone tomorrow and not think anything of it. So the point of that is, is that, you know, it takes time for people to change their habits. It takes time for international markets to change their habits as far as how they buy things, what they're buying and so on and so forth. But what you need to do from a business perspective is figure out which marketplace and like I said, for, for most of us, that would be the UK or Germany. And get your products over there and then figure out as you go how much you should ship, how much it costs to ship there. Is it a profitable business for me after you get going? And if it is, how do I scale it up? Do I need a distributor? 
Do I need partners overseas to help me with this? Can I just send things from my manufacturer to the UK, to wherever I need to send it to, and find ways to reduce your costs and maximize efficiency and so on? So the bigger picture is just do it. Just get out and do it. Because if you don't, you'll sit on your hands until you have to do it. And when you have to do it, you have to catch up with people. And that's the, the hardest part on any marketplace, on any commerce situation, on people buying an iPhone six years after they came out. Those people have to learn what, what the thing does. And then once they learn what it does, it becomes irreplaceable. And I think the same thing has happened in e-commerce over the years. Is people are understanding that we have to do this, and this just isn't a... a a side experiment. This is part of commerce in general, and the e-commerce is commerce. And if you can find a way to get yourself into another marketplace internationally, you will be able to expand your footprint before someone else does. And I think that is an important takeaway when you're trying to figure out how to do business in another place that you're not familiar with. You are absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you so much for your expertise, Jesse. Yeah. For help taking your e-commerce to the next level, visit www.vasogroup.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Follow at Vaso Group on Facebook and Twitter and at Vaso underscore group on Instagram. Thanks for listening.